Well, hey, good morning, church. Good to see all of you here today. Uh, about four years ago, 12 of us from our church uh, drove up to the Bay Area to compete in the Ragnar relay race from San Francisco to Napa. Here's a course map. And uh, here's San Francisco right down here in the Golden Gate Bridge, kind of goes over the, the waters there. And we ran all the way, all this distance, right through there and then up to Napa Valley, a little under 200 miles, 194 miles or so. And um, the race started there. This is, uh, started at 6 o'clock in the morning on Friday. This is uh, Cheryl and I uh, at the starting gate. And she took the first leg. And this is her after she ran across the bridge. And then someone else picked up after that. So we ran this relay race, the 12 of us from the church. We ran until we finished uh, around the clock, around, uh, around dinner time on Saturday. And each one of us, the 12 of us, we each, we were in two separate vans. And we each had three legs to run. So um, the distances were different depending on who was running, depending on where it was. Pastor James who is uh, our, really our best runner, our strongest runner. He ran uh, one leg that I know of. It was at least 13 miles. Uh, a couple of others, probably 9 and 10 miles each. I'm guessing that he ran the most, um, mile, put the most mileage on, probably ran about 30 out of the 100, 196 miles or so. Uh, I ran the shortest legs because I'm the oldest. And I get, as the oldest, I get to tell everybody which legs they can run. And uh, I told them that I couldn't run a lot because I had to check my Facebook page. So, uh, <laughs> but I probably ran about a half mile out of the 196 miles. I'm, I'm kidding. I ran more than that. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, we finished about 30 hours later. Again, I think one of my legs was at 2 o'clock in the morning, and we had headlamps on. And when you're running out there in the middle of nowhere, I mean literally in the middle of nowhere, great, great uh, trees and all those kinds of things, grapevines, and uh, there's nobody around, and you just keep hoping that Bigfoot doesn't come out to, to nab you or something like that, but sometimes you don't see anybody for long distances because it's such a, a wide, spread out area, but when we finished 30 hours later across the finish line, we all got a medal, we all got the same medal, uh, Pastor James' medal wasn't shinier than mine uh, because he ran more, you know, we all got the same medal, and one thing was very apparent in, in doing this race, and that was that, that uh, you couldn't, we couldn't do it without teamwork, right? It was a team effort. Everyone had to do their part. <clears throat> Whether it was a short leg or a long leg, everybody had to do their part. And so it was a, a great experience. Uh, my wife has been trying to put together another relay race, but I told her I'm retired. I'm not doing that anymore. And so uh, hopefully she'll listen to me and, uh, because the next time I really might run just a half a mile. So... Anyways, hey, thank you for joining us today. We've been, for the last month and a half or so, we've been in a series here called This Is Home. And the series has been about our church, but more importantly, it's been about the church of Jesus Christ, the church in general. And Pastor Greg and I have been kind of unpacking some of the traits, some of the characteristics of what we think is a healthy church, an Acts chapter 2 church. And Acts chapter 2 church is where the church started, and that's really a healthy church. Just to give you a quick little recap of what we've covered, uh, we first learned that when a church is firing on all cylinders, uh, one of the characteristics that stands out is that it is hospitable. It is, it, is, it is warm and loving towards strangers. It is hospitable. 
Second, we, we learn that the church is a family. It is a fellowship. Third, the church is home base. It is a home base for a mission. And our mission here is to help people all over the world who are far from God find and follow Jesus Christ. And it is, the church is a place we go from, not a place we go to. Fourth, we learn that the church is committed, has a high view of Scripture, and that's certainly us here at South Bay Community Church. We believe that this is the Word of God, and we're committed to it, committed to preaching it, to teaching it. Uh, We believe that uh, the people of God ought to feed off the Word of God. They ought to be self-feeding Christians. I mean, the Word of God is everything to us. Uh, Fifth, we learned this last week, that the church is a graced community. God has lavished his grace upon every one of us and has put us in the church. And the church, it's okay to be in a church. It's okay not to be okay in the church. It's okay not to be okay in the church. And it's okay to tell others that you're not okay because we are not perfect. We are broken people, and we've come together by the grace of God. And um, because God has shed his grace upon us, then we ought to be gracious to other people. And that's what we really believe about South Bay Community Church. And so those are some of the things that we've covered in the last five or six weeks. And all along, you know, our prayer has been that South Bay Community Church would be that kind of church. And, um, you know, we, we certainly have a long way to go. We'll never be a perfect church by any means, but we're trying. And today, I wanted to unpack with you one more thing about the church Uh, and that is that the church is a team. In every sense of the word, the church is a team. And so um, this is home. We are a team, and uh, hopefully after the message today, you'll understand that uh, in an even greater way. So so before we begin the message, uh, let me just remind you that you hopefully received a Baywatch when you walked in. That's what we call our program. Inside, there's an insert there, a sheet. I believe it's light blue. It's got the verses listed there for you. There's some fill-ins. If you'd like to do that kind of thing, you can take notes. You can also download our South Bay Community Church app. Go to the Play Store, download that, and you can follow along. The whole outline is right there. You can follow along, and then later this evening, you can go back and listen to the message on your app if you wanted to do that one more time. All right, so follow along. Of course, you can look at the screen. But let me pray first, and then we'll get started. Well, Father, it is, it is so good to be here I thank you, God, for this, uh, this great week. And, Lord, in many ways, um, you know, just some news we heard last night about somebody in our church is going through a really rough time. I know it's weighed heavy on the hearts of um, some of our pastors. And, God, it's a reminder, Lord, that, yeah, we live in a broken and messed up world, and we desperately need you. And, Father, I, without naming uh, who this lady is, we lift her up to you, God, as she has suffered a great loss in her life, and, and I ask that you would bring healing and comfort to her uh, in ways that only you can. And Father, thank you for all that you're doing here at our church. Thank you for the grace that you bestowed upon us. God, thank you for the team that you've put here. God, thank you that we're a family, that we're a fellowship. Thank you that you're helping us to be hospitable. Thank you that you're helping us to be mission-minded. And Father, all these things about the church are so important. And, and one more is, is that the church is a team. And I pray that today you would speak to us so clearly in such a way, God, that we would, that we would get it, that we would understand it, that we wouldn't simply be spectators at, an, at a sporting event, but 
that we would be participants, that we would be a team that works together so that the church can be everything that you want it to be. So Holy Spirit, stir in our hearts. Speak through me today. And ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, the word team can't be found in the Bible, right? The word does not appear in the Bible. The word teamwork does not appear in the Bible. But one thing is very clear from reading the Bible, and that is the concept of teamwork is found in the Scriptures. Let me give you, let me just start by laying the groundwork by just giving you three examples of teamwork as it is found in the Bible. First example of teamwork that's found in the Bible was when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and into the into the desert. And they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Moses was their leader. There were, there were more than 2 million Jews, Israelites, and he led them throughout the desert. And as you can imagine, if you get 200, 2 million people together, they're going to bump heads. I mean, if you get this many people in a room together, and if we stick around for long enough, for 40 years, we're going we're gonna to bump heads. We're going we're gonna to rub each other the wrong way, and we're going to have quarrels and arguments and, and uh, disputes from time to time. And that's exactly what was happening in the desert. As the Jews wandered in the desert for 40 years, they began to have disputes and arguments. They might have had marital disputes. Maybe a husband and wife weren't getting along, or maybe some brothers and sisters were bumping heads, or maybe some of the folks who were living next to each other, they didn't like the way the, 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 the folks next to them were conducting their business, or maybe the, some families weren't getting along. But whatever, for whatever reason, there were, there were a lot of disputes and quarrels among the people. And whenever they had a quarrel, they didn't know what to do. So they decided they'd take it to their leader, Moses. And so all of a sudden, Moses was getting all these folks coming to him saying, Hey, Moses, I'm not getting along with so-and-so. Or, Hey, Moses, I had a fight with my husband last night. What do I do? Hey, Moses, my brother did this to me, and I'm really mad at him. Or, or Moses, my neighbor, did this to me. What do we do? And so everyone was coming to Moses uh, to bring their griefs and their complaints. Take a look at Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. And it says, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. So he was the judge. And they brought him all their complaints. And they asked him to resolve all their issues. And there were so many of them, they stood around him from morning till evening. Can you imagine all the problems that the two million people had? He was the lone judge and arbiter for, for every d dispute that arose. Well, fortunately, Moses had a very wise father-in-law named Jethro. And Jethro pointed out to his son-in-law the need to get a team to help him. Moses, you can't do it all by yourself. Unfortunately, well, Moses took the advice of his father-in-law. Here's what Exodus 18, 25 says. Jump down to verse 25. It says, Moses chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they served as judges for the people at all times. In the difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones, they decided themselves. And so Moses put together a team. And they were judges over thousands of people, fifties, hundreds, tens. And they took care of all the issues. They care, took care of all the conflicts that the people had. And then Moses was like the Supreme Court. And when they had a really big problem, then they'd take it to him. But they worked as a team, and they got the job done. Another example of teamwork is found in the book of Nehemiah. You might recall, and I've mentioned this many times before, in 586 B.C., that would have been nearly 2,500 years ago, more than 2,500 years ago, the Babylonians, which is where Iraq is located today, the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, and they destroyed the temple of God that Solomon built there. 
they destroyed, not only did they destroy the temple of God, but they, they destroyed the wall that protected the temple, the wall that surrounded the city of Jerusalem. In fact, here's a part of what the wall looks like today. This is a photo that I took. I was standing on the Mount of Olives looking at the city of Jerusalem, and here's the wall. You can see the wall faintly right here. It goes all the way around, and then it goes down this way and up, and, and it, goes, it goes around that golden dome. That's a, that's a mosque there that was put together by... Um, by the, uh, by the uh, Muslims there. But, but that was the wall. The, the wall that, that Nehemiah uh, went to build was probably the rubble around here. Right, that was the, probably the original wall that was destroyed. And then he came and rebuilt the wall. And by the way, I, I took this from the Mount of Olives. It, by the way, if you're interested in going to Israel, we're putting together another uh, group to go to Israel in November. And it's a fantastic trip. If you have never been there, uh, you ought to let us know if you, on our, your Connect card if you're interested, and we'll get you more information about what it costs and all those things. But it is, a, it is an incredible, life-changing trip. But around 445 B.C., that would have been about 140 years after the wall was destroyed, Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall because the city needed a wall. And shortly after he arrived in Jerusalem, he gathered some of his people together and assessed the situation. And here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 17. Nehemiah said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. In other words, the us, you know, is, is a plural. Let us do it, not, not let me do it. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told him of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. And so here again, the, word plural, the plural word is used. Nehemiah said, let's build a wall together because he couldn't build it alone. And so he enlisted a team, and they were able to build a wall in a record 52 days. Another example, third example, this is the last one, comes from the New Testament. When the church was growing, the 12 disciples or 12 apostles couldn't keep up with all the demands of the church because it was exploding before them. And sometimes your five pastors, we feel the same way. Sometimes we can't feel like we can't keep up with all the things going on in the church. But in Acts chapter 6 verse 1, here's what it says. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number... And that just means when, when the Christians were, were growing, when the church was growing, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, the Hellenists here was a reference to Jews who spoke Greek rather than Hebrew. And they were immersed in Greek culture rather than Hebrew culture. And they were complaining because they weren't getting their daily distribution of food. And so it says in verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And so 
what they did was they had all these needs. The disciples couldn't do it all, and so they appointed seven men. They got a team together to help them care for those who uh, needed some uh, distribution of food. And so we see it very clearly, even though the word team or the word teamwork does not appear in the Bible, the concept of teamwork is found throughout the scriptures. All right, so, so why is teamwork so important? Why is teamwork so important? In 1953, take a look at this photo. Edmund Hillary on the left and Tenzing Norgay on the right became the first people to stand on the tallest mountain in the world, Mount Everest, at 29,035 feet. They stood atop the tallest mountain in the world at 29,035 feet. Now, this wasn't Norgay, the guy on the right. Uh, he was a Sherpa. He, this wasn't his first attempt to reach the top. He had tried earlier. He tried, for example, in 1935 to go up to, to um, Mount Everest. He made it as far as the North Call, which was at an elevation of 22,000 feet. A call is a flat area uh, on a mountain ridge between two peaks. That's a call. He made it as far as the North Call, 22,000 feet. When Norgay and his team got up to the North Call, they made a gruesome discovery. They came across a wind-shredded tent, and inside they found the skeletal remains of this man, Maurice Wilson. Wilson tried, snuck into Tibet and then, uh, or, to, uh, or Nepal, and then tried to scale Mount Everest 14 months earlier all by himself. He tried to do it alone. And so here's the headline that appeared in the New York Times on March 23rd, 1936, after his body was discovered. Body of climber found on Everest. Maurice Wilson perished in 1934 in trying to scale the highest peak alone. You see, there are some things you can't do alone, like climb to the top of Mount Everest. And by the way, last year, 11 people died trying to climb to the top of Mount Everest because it is, it is the most difficult climb in the entire world. And when somebody dies on Mount Everest, because of the difficulty of bringing back bodies of those who die, most of the time when somebody dies on Mount Everest, the body is left there. Like this man who died in 1996 at an elevation of nearly 28,000 feet. He is known as the man in the green boots. And because he's been there, because his body has been there frozen since 1996, he's become like a fixture, and he's become a landmark. And when all the climbers and hikers come upon that body, they go, oh, we're almost at this point. We've got to go this way now. And he's become kind of like a fixture on the mountain. Tenzing Nor Norgay said that just to get two people to the very top of Mount Everest, you've literally got to move about 2,000 pounds of equipment and supplies. So here's Mount Everest. I mean, it is majestic. I mean, I can't imagine. Mount Baldy is probably 8,000 feet, or not even, not even that. Um, uh, Mammoth Mountain is at 8,000 feet. This is at 29,000 feet, if you can imagine that. 
and you got to move 20, about 2,000 pounds of equipment and supplies. can't be trucked in. It can't be airlifted in. It's got to be carried in on the backs of a, a large contingent of people known as Sherpas. And it begins in Kathmandu, which is the, which is the capital of Nepal. Everyone goes in, to Kathmandu. And then from there, you've got to load everything on your back and you've got to hike it in up to the base camp. Take a look at this diagram here. So there's the mountain there. There's the summit there on the very top. That's where you want to go. To. But this is the base camp. Right, the base camp is located at 17,600 feet, twice the height of, of Mammoth Mountain, 17,600 feet. So you've got to go from Kathmandu. So let's say Kathmandu is way over here, and you've got to hike it all the way over here and then go up 17,000 feet just to the base camp, and then it's another more than two miles all the way up to the top. But just to get to the base camp, from Kathmandu to the base camp, takes about 14 to 16 days. So imagine it takes more than two weeks, almost, yeah, more than two weeks to move about 2,000 pounds of equipment just to get two men to the very, very top. And once they get to the base camp, some of their supplies have dwindled, so the load has gotten a little lighter. Now you've got to take about 750 pounds of equipment and supplies up, up from the base camp, up, up the mountain. And so what happens is you get the strongest uh, Sherpas that you have, and they begin to carry things up. Another team goes ahead of them, finds the path, cuts the steps, secures the rope. When the team gets to the next level, they're exhausted, and so another team takes over, and this goes on until they get to the very top. And this is the summit right here. And I would say to my daughter, Kylie, no, you cannot do this. <laughs> that's the very top, and that's where everybody wants to get to. And uh, Norgay said that to get the two men to the top of Mount Everest, they need anywhere from two to 300 men, Sherpas, to make it to the top, just to get two men to the top. See, write this one down. Tre teamwork makes the dream work. Teamwork makes the dream work. And I borrowed this phrase from a book that was written by John Maxwell with the same title, Teamwork Makes the Dream Work. And that is especially true in the church. Teamwork makes the dream work. I mean, let me ask you something. How often have you heard about pastors who flame out, who burn out? It happens all the time. According to a church consultant named Tom Rayner, the average tenure of a pastor is three to four years. Imagine that. The average length of time that a pastor stays in his church is three to four years. Most pastors don't make it past four years because they burn out. Most pastors don't stay on the job very long because uh, in, in many churches, pastors have to do everything. They do everything. And one team member can't carry the entire team. Here's some sobering statistics that I came across on a website called pastoralcareinc.com. And I'm going to just put them up here for you randomly. They said 72% of pastors report working between 55 and 75 hours a week. 84% of pastors feel they are on call 24-7. 80% of pastors believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. 78% of pastors report having their vacation and personal time interrupted with ministry duties. 
57% of pastors believe they do not receive a livable wage. 35% of pastors battle depression or fear of inadequacy. 70% of pastors report that they have a lower self-image now than when they first started pastoring. 70% of pastors do not have someone they consider to be a close friend. 34% of pastors have wrestled with the temptation of pornography. And one out of every 10 pastors will actually retire as a pastor, which means nine out of 10 pastors don't even make it in their church to retirement age because they quit or they're fired before that. See, the truth is pastors can't do it alone. Nobody can do it alone in the church, just like a mountain climber can't scale Mount Everest alone. It takes a team. It takes a team. And that's why I love what the Apostle Paul said about teamwork in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for a minute. This is, such a, this is a classic passage, but it's so powerful and so good. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not long belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body what we think, uh, that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. You know, in this passage, Paul compares the functioning of the human body to the church. He makes the analogy and this passage is packed with so much truth about the significance of teamwork in the church. First of all, in verse 14, he said, The body does not consist of one member but many. All right? body does not consist of one member but many. Body parts. Many body parts but one body. The point is, every part of the body is important. Every part of the body is important. The foot is important. The head is important, the hand is important, the ear is important, the eye is important, the nose is important. Every part of the body is important. And of course, Paul is speaking about the church. And so what he's saying is every part of the church is important. Every part of the church, everyone in the church is important. How important, you say? Verse 22, take a look at verse 22. He said the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. He says that those parts of the body that seem to be the weakest link are indispensable. I mean, this is an extraordinary statement. Think about this. Now, circle the word indispensable for me. Um, You know what this word means in the Greek, the word indispensable? You don't get this in the English. By the way, the New Testament was written in the Greek, 
And that's why we'll refer to the Greek every once in a while to see what it really means because we just have an English translation. This is an English translation from the original language, right? And the Greek, the Greek word for indispensable is anakaios. Anakaios. Won't be tested on that later, so don't worry about that. But it refers to the word indispensable or anakaios refers to what you can't do without. What you can't do without. You know, there's some things that I can't do without. What are some things you can't do without? I can't do without, someone said air. That's right, we can't do without air. You can't, I can't do without my wife. Honestly, I can't do without my daughters. I can't do without a shower every day. Some of you need to take two showers every day, right? Amen. I can't do without my Trader Joe's maple granola cereal, which I eat every morning out of my tofu container. I can't do without that. I can't do without at least seven hours of sleep. Last night, I got about six, and so if I fall asleep while I'm preaching up here, you'll know why. There are some things I can't do without. Paul said there are parts of the church, there are people in the church that we can't do without. And they are the ones who seem to be the weaker people in the church. They're the weaker ones, and I don't mean physically, but they're weaker, and we can't do without them. So write this one down. A team, work, a team works when everyone works. A team works when everyone works. Now, for those of you who know, our, we have a junior high ministry, a great group of junior high school kids. They meet on Friday nights. They were here two nights ago. And they meet, and they, they have a good day. They gather around 6, 6.30, and they go on for a couple hours. And... Um, they have a great time. We also have what's called a ukulele ministry. Not ukulele, it's ukulele. I've been corrected a couple times by our Hawaiian folks. And they gather. They tend to be a little older and tend to be from Hawaii. And if you have a ukulele, ukulele and you want to come and be a part of that, come on Friday nights at around 6.30. They all show up at 6.30. Well, on, six, on Friday evening, uh, a young mother came and decided to go to the ukulele ministry. And she brought her five-year-old kindergarten son with her. Well, she, I believe it was the first time she'd ever come to our church. Uh, she walked in, and the young son saw all these junior high school kids running around in the lobby. And so, of course, the, the young boy was immediately drawn to the kids. And so he went and uh, saw what was going on with them. And they said, well, you come into our junior high school group with us. And so they went in. And almost immediately, one of our junior high school kids, his name is Orion, he's about 10 or 11, just kind of took this boy in, just took him under his wings, and he befriended him. And he says, come on in with us, and he sat with him. And then when Pastor James was delivering his message on, of all passages, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? When he was delivering his message, Orion sat with his little boy right next to him, going over the notes, explaining to him exactly what Pastor James was saying. As he was saying it, he was doing this, and it was an absolutely amazing thing. So my daughter Natalie, who was there, snapped this photo of this going, as it was going on. Pastor James is speaking, and there's Orion on the left, and he's teaching this young boy exactly what he's saying about John 3.16. And Natalie said, it was a sight to behold. 
you would, she says, it would, it would just brought a tear to your eye just to see what Orion was doing, this 11-year-old boy for this 5-year-old boy, just bringing him under. And when I, and by the way, I got Orion's um, mom's permission to share this story with you. She just uh, asked, she said, if, if you, uh, she just, would you just let the people know if they see Orion, don't go up to him and say, hey, Pastor Gary talked about you today. She says, that, she says if, if 500 people do that, it'll just absolutely freak them out. So don't say anything to him about this. Because attention would be just too overwhelming for him. But, but I just, my heart was just so warmed when I heard this story. Here's an 11-year-old boy. When you think the very, the, the most, the least parts of our church are the ones that you can't do without. You can't do without the children. Because even the children minister to the children. And the, the children will even minister to adults. And so this is such an important part of our church. I mean, we can't do without them. This little boy couldn't do without Orion. I mean, I, there's so many other people I can't do without, and I know I'm going to embarrass her, but I'm going to do it anyways. But I can't do without Suna. I can, Suna, I don't, know, I don't know what I'd do without you. I can't do without Suna, who shows up here seven days a week at 5 a.m. to pray in that room. She's the only one in our church who is not an official, quote-unquote, ministry leader and we've given her the keys and the, and the pass codes, the security codes to come in the building at 5 o'clock in the morning. Because we're not here at 5 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but she'll come in here at 5 o'clock in the morning. She'll go in there and she'll just pray. She'll pray for, for me and the pastors and she'll pray for our church. Till, till usually around noon. When I was diagnosed with cancer last year, she was one of the first people I wanted, I wanted her to know. Because I knew she would pray for me. And I believe that, you know... I'm cancer-free today, partly because of her, because she prays for me. I can't do without her. I can't do without members of the worship team. Because I remember what it was like when I used to have to lead worship in those early days, <laughs> right? In the early days of our church, we didn't have anybody to lead worship, so it was me. And I'm telling you, it was painful for all those people who had to come and listen to me, not only lead worship, but then preach. And if it went on any longer than it did, I would have single-handedly killed the church that I started. And I'm so thankful for the worship team. I, I can't do it without them. I can't do it without the folks who come every Saturday, come early on Saturday afternoon to fold all the bay watches and put all the inserts in. We do over a thousand of them now. I mean, when I first started, we did 50 of them, and I could do, I could do that, and I did that. I'd go to Kinko's and run off the copies because we didn't have a copy machine back then, and I'd do all that. I can't do it without the folks who show up here usually on Saturday mornings at 7 or 7.30 in the morning, they, they come here, a whole bunch of them, they come here just to clean the church. The reason why the, the carpet's so clean, because they, they come in this room and they, they vacuum all the carpets and they wash down all the windows and they'll mop all the floors and they'll clean up all the, you know, clean up all the, the mess. They'll go in the toilets and they clean up all the toilets. They empty out all the trash receptacles. They come into the office and do all that. I mean, I can't do without them. I can't do without the folks in our hospitality ministry. Every week, they bring, people bring food. They bring food. They, they put it on the tables. They make coffee. They set the waters out. When you spill it, when you drop it, they clean it up. Wipe, after you, as you're leaving here today, they're wiping down the tables so that it's clean. I can't do without all those who, who serve in our children's ministry. A whole bunch of them in our children's ministry probably have over 100 volunteers. You know, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 7, Paul said this. He said, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Will you circle the word minister? 
Paul said, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. The word minister here in the Greek is the word diakonos. It can also be translated in the word servant. All right, so I'll put that up here for you. It's the word minister here in Ephesians 3, 7. It's the Greek word diakonos. It's also translated servant. Now, the, the word diakonos, the Greek word diakonos, can, act, can also be divided into two words, dia, which means thoroughly, and konis, which means dust. Like, I've got a, I got a lot of konis in my house. I've got a lot of dust in my house. When you put diakonos together, you get this. It means to thoroughly kick up the dust. That, that's what it means. It means to thoroughly kick up the dust because you're running around and it's dusty. You know, back when Paul wrote this in 60 to 62 AD, most of the roads were not paved. They weren't surfaced. Most roads were dirt paths, which is why when you entered into someone's home, the first thing they would do is they would wash your feet because your feet were dusty because people didn't wear sketches back then. They wore sandals, and your feet would get dusty and dirty, and so they wash your feet before you'd come in. The reason diakonos is translated into the word minister or servant is because the servants were the ones who were kicking up the dust in a hurry to serve their masters. They were the ones kicking up the dust. And so Paul said, I am a diakonos because he was kicking up the dust, busy serving the Lord. That's what diakonos means. It means to serve the Lord. And so here's the thing. How many of your servants... I mean, how many of you servants? And I don't think that anyone would dispute the fact that Paul was a minister. But uh, what about the rest of you? I see this word, diakonos, doesn't apply just to him. It applies to all of us. In fact, I got a question for you. How many of you are ministers? If you're a minister today, would you raise your hand? Would you, if, you, if you're a minister here, would you raise your hand? Come on, there aren't any ministers in the room? There's a... Not any, okay, so, oh, there's one back there, all right? We got one back there. We got here, there, okay, so here, and even in the lobby, all right? I want you to raise your hand if you're, if you're in the cafe area, raise your hand. So here's what I want you to do. Would you all raise your hands for a second? Okay, everybody, I want everybody to raise your hands, all right? Everybody raise your hands. Everybody in the lobby, the family room over there, raise your hands. Okay, everybody raise your hands. Keep your hands up, all right? Some of you aren't, don't have your hands up, I can see. Raise your hands, all right? Everybody raise your hands, all right? So here's a question for you. Keep your hands up. How many ministers in the room? Wow, look at all the ministers in the room. Look at all the, look at all the ministers in the lobby. Wow, we've got a lot of ministers in this church. All right, you can, keep, you, can, you can lower your hands. Yeah, you are all ministers, right? We are all ministers. We are all diakonos, right? First Peter 4, 10 Peter said this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. All right, circle the word serve, right? Paul wrote that everyone has been, first of all, he wrote that everyone has been given a gift, a divine enablement that you can use to serve God. Everyone has been given a gift, and you have a gift. You may not know it, but God's given you a gift. And if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, then I want to invite you to come check out um, our Next Steps class coming up on February 27th on Thursday. Um, and Pastor Greg is going to be teaching on spiritual gifts. And maybe at that class you can learn what your spiritual gift is that God has given you that you can use to serve him. But going back to 1 Peter 4.10, it says here God has given you a gift to serve him. So serve one another. The word serve comes from the same Greek word 
that Paul used in Ephesians 3, 7, it's the word diakonos. Paul said, Peter's point was, we are all, you need to use your gift to serve him. In other words, you're all ministers. You are all ministers. We are all to kick up the dust, thoroughly kick up the dust to serve the Lord. And so write this one down. A team, you wrote this one down. A team works when everyone works. When everyone is serving, when we are all serving one another, that's when the team works, which begs the question now, begs the question, are you serving the Lord? Are you serving the Lord? God made you a minister. He got you to, God made you to serve him. Are you doing the work of the ministry? Or are you letting the pastor do the work? You know, here at South Bay, we want everyone to serve the Lord. We want our church to be a church of a thousand ministers, not just one, not just five ministers, but a church of a thousand ministers. Uh, and, and here at South Bay, we want everyone to have two ministries. One, we want everyone to have a primary ministry. Your primary ministry would, would be your ministry where you feel like you're called. You feel like you have a real heart, a real burden. So let's say you really care about kids. You really love kids. And so your primary ministry is to be a teacher in the kids' crew ministry. Or your, maybe your primary ministry, I would say soon as primary ministry, is to pray. She just has a heart for prayer. But then we also want everyone to have a secondary ministry. And a secondary ministry is just be available to help wherever help is needed. So periodically we'll find Suna helping out as a greeter because she's just available. So she's going to help as a greeter. But her primary ministry is to pray. Maybe your primary, primary ministry is to lead a life group and you're the leader of a life group. But maybe your secondary ministry every once in a while is you're helping with the ushering team or you're helping clean the church, secondary ministry. That's just kind of periodically. I think the, the point is, the point is we ought to have a lifestyle of ministry. We ought, to have a, we ought to have a lifestyle of service where we are serving the Lord at all times. And by the way, today, if you're interested in serving, and I hope that you are, I hope that everyone has a ministry here. When you go in the lobby today, we have two display stands. They're identical, so you can just go to one. But in the display stands, you'll find these cards. And it has information about all the different ministries. So here's, here's a, a card on the nursery ministry. These are for our, our littlest kids. We got, we got a baby boom going on here. Had a lot of babies helping. If you can help take care of a baby, then it allows the parent to come in here and experience the service. Here's one on caring crafters. Another one here on the greeting ministry. If you want more information, again, there's information on the back. Take a card. Take it with you. Get the information. Email the leader and get more information. And then sign up to serve in a ministry and make something, make a ministry, make one primary ministry, and then have a secondary ministry. And, <laughs> and I don't know what I'd do without them, right? Because they could cut off my sound. <laughs> and you can't hear anything I said. All right, so yeah, teamwork, yeah. So here's your final point. Teamwork displays God's work, all right? This is your final point. Teamwork displays God's work. Years ago, during World War II, a church in Strasbourg, France, was badly damaged by an intense night of bombing. One of the precious treasures in the church that took a big hit was a priceless statue of Christ whose hands were cut off by a falling beam. After the bombing stopped, the members of the church gathered to discuss what they should do 
about the statue and how they could repair a statue. A sculptor in town offered to replace the broken hand as a gift to the church. But after much deliberation, the church leaders decided not to accept the sculptor's offer because they felt that that the statue without hands would be a constant and powerful reminder that they, the church, are the hands and feet of Jesus. See, whenever we are the hands and feet of Jesus, we display God's work. Whenever we are the hands and feet of Jesus, we do his work. As somebody once said, we are never more like God than when we give. And we are never more like God than when we serve. Which is why we display his work, which is why the scriptures say, how blessed are the feet that brings good news. Let me close by showing you a video of some of the hands and feet of Jesus here at South Bay Community Church. Take a look at the screen. Father, and we know that serving isn't just about accomplishing a task, but it's about those hundreds and hundreds of people that come through those doors each weekend and asking ourselves, how can we truly care for them? So equip us, Father, and help us do this to your glory. serve so that the parents can go attend services and just to love on the kids. I think it's not a matter of like we should. I think that once you experience like God's grace, you want to serve. I I think you just realize How can you use me, God? Oh, serving means a lot to me. It means that um, I'm giving something of of my time and effort to something that is uh, helpful to our congregation, our church, and to the Lord. I serve in ministry because I have fun doing it. Um, It makes me happy and I enjoy looking at everyone and making sure that they are um, enjoying worship. Um, I definitely serve because one, of course I love Jesus and I just want to show His love. God bless all of the people up there with certain gifts and abilities and I just, I don't want to waste that gift. I serve because I truly believe that Jesus has called each person to um, be filled in order to pursue my joy in Christ. That is, He calls us to do it through service. Serving the body of Christ is the most important thing. Our Lord and Master and our Savior Jesus uh, asks us to do that because when we serve others, we're actually serving Him. You don't know what you're missing. I believe that, you know, Jesus calls us to serve because he wants to bless us in ways that we can't even imagine. They're missing out if they aren't able to stand under that waterfall of blessing through service. Isn't that great? 
I don't know about you, but when I serve, I feel so alive. And we sense that. I think that you sense that. When you go out in the lobby and you see people serving, you feel like the church is alive. Church was not meant to be a one-man show. There are no superstars here, right? The superstar is Jesus, right? He's our head. We're the body. I hope that you'll find a place to serve and serve him because God made you to be a minister. Let's close our time in prayer. Well, Father, thank you for all that you're doing here. Well, what an amazing place you have given to us here at South Bay. And Father, I thank you for all the ones who serve week in and week out. And Lord, we do it. No one does it here out of compulsion. We do it because of our love for you, because of what you did for us. You served us. You gave to us. How can we not give back? How can we not be a servant of yours? I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who would kick up the dust, thoroughly kick up the dust for you and serve each other to a work, Lord God, so that it would be said of South Bay that they've got a thousand ministers there, thousand of them who are willing to, who are out there serving you every single day. So thank you, Father. We love you. We do it for you. We do it because of you, because, because of all that you have done for us. And may our service in every way bring more glory and honor to you. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.